to another episode of Shades Midweek, where we have conversations about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I'm Brad Brown, joined by my co-host, John Mark DeRoe and Jonathan Hafes. How are you both doing this week? I'm doing well. Uh, we just got back from vacation last week. We were at the oh. beach. We were at the beach all week. How we're, was the weather? You were looking, a, the looking a little tan there. Yeah, the weather was the weather was pretty good. Um, it was cloudy some days, and there was a little bit of rain. Yeah. But overall, we had a great time. Though we rode our bikes, and oh yeah, we just we just had a nice relaxing time. And that I was actually talking to somebody at Shades on Sunday, and we were talking about going on vacation and and how you're basically just parenting from another location if you have kids <laughs> like not not much of that the, changes the beach is particularly difficult when you have small children yeah we're starting to get to that point Moses is sick so it's he's a lot easier although he does want to be at the pool like all the time though, right, right 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 so you have limited time at the beach but anyways there's this comedian I don't remember who it is but there was a bit that he did about uh, dad's on vacation and it basically it's basically like so you know the dad they get the kids in the car and then they get their wife in the car and they close the door and the time it takes for them to close the door for their wife and walk around to the other side of the door that's the dad's vacation <laughs> <laughs> that's their vacation uh. <laughs> That sounds. That reminds me of Jim Gaffigan talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. going to Disney. Maybe that's Disney it. World Maybe it's his, with his thing. Dad. I don't know. Never understanding why his <laughs> yeah. dad was why upset. Why is dad so mad all the time? <laughs> Paying fifty dollars for a turkey leg. <laughs> oh yeah, I get it now. <laughs> no, but we yeah, had a, we had a great heat. time. It was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Jonathan, how are you doing? Man, I'll be honest, guys. This morning, I uh, I witnessed a tragedy. It was I was not oh, expecting no. it. I was driving down I-65, and the car in front of me starts to slam on brakes and I <laughs> and swerve a little bit. And coming out from the other side of this car is a coyote. Oh, no. And this coyote lays down on the side of the road writhing in pain because this oh, person wow. like ran over a coyote on I-65. And it was like the saddest thing, and there was nothing I could do. So I just wanted to share that. To really bring down the mood. <laughs> so you didn't stop and There's see There's no good ending. I got nothing else. You didn't stop and see if the coyote was okay? I'm on I-65. I don't know if I've ever seen a coyote out on the interstate before. Oh, by the yeah. time I could slow down and get over, I'd be three miles away. I can remember one time my mom was driving and she ran over a squirrel and she stopped, but that made it worse <laughs> because we looked back and the squirrel was still moving. Oh! And so it was like, do we need to do a mercy kill? And it was like, back up and run over the squirrel again. And it was like, no, I can't do it. It's like, for the sake of the squirrel, mom. (laughs) Anyway. Well, I mean, that... That's what was kind of weird about this. It's like, I mean, it felt terrible because in the rearview mirror, I see this thing writhing in pain. But what am I going to do? Get out of the car and go check on a coyote? Like, (laughs) the thing would just bite me. I don't know the rules for that. I don't know. I don't know. So, anyway, yeah, I just thought I would share that and leave us nowhere to go from there. That's so. good. <laughs> Actually, I do think there is somewhere we could go from here. For sure. Yeah, and that and we'll do that later, I guess. <laughs> no, I was going to say, say I was going to say we could take a trip down to the email corridor. Ah, oh, yes. the email yeah. corridor. That was my attempt at a segue. Well, yeah, so the last 2 weeks we we split up our 
podcast the last two weeks with Bo Armstead, which we had a great interview, and I was going through my emails and I actually found two emails that we got in the last two weeks uh, that we had Bo's episode, so we're, we're kind of catching we're blowing up. up. It's definitely blo- not a record number of emails. I mean, we've had more than that before in, right. in a two-week period. Right, of course, of course, yeah. Mm. So uh, we, we have some that we need to read. So here is one uh, from Grant Primo. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. He's never emailed us before. Favorite of the show, Grant Fre- Primo. Frequent writer. One of our favorites. Um, so as we mentioned in the last episode, there's been an email battle going on. Yes. Between Grant and Battle Sage. is the appropriate word. And so to catch everyone up to speed, essentially what happened is Grant was really angry uh, because we thought, or I thought for a moment on a few episodes back that he was with us for an episode when it was actually Andrew. And I apologize, but he got really upset and threatened to sue us, uh, which we haven't heard from him yet on that on that front. Yeah. But, Thank God. Thank well, God. He can talk to our lawyer. Right. Sidney Powell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we got out the big guns for you, Grant. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> I was going to say he could talk to our lawyer, Grant. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway, so yes. So he hasn't sued us yet. Right. But he wrote this email, and the header is responding to Sage. All right? Because, oh, I didn't finish the story. Sorry, we got sidetracked. Got sidetracked. So he said he wouldn't be the number one fan anymore, that he didn't want to run the Shades Midweek fan club. But then Sage emailed us and said that she would gladly take that. I think it's official. Yeah. I think, Sage, what what do you want the title to be? Is this like president of the fan club? I guess so. Chair of the fan club? Uh, I have no idea. Head honcho? I don't know. So Grant says, Dear Shades Midweek, I heard Sage's challenge to defend my position as the podcast number one fan, but I'm not going to take the bait. Sage can have the position. I've actually moved on. I now exclusively listen to Brian Eno fan podcast. Sorry, Shades Midweek. You just don't have enough Brian Eno content for me. Warmest regards, Grant. Man, so, what I love about that is he makes a deep cut joke. You, you <laughs> a deep, cut, a deep shades cut shades midweek, midweek joke. We've been going long out. enough that there are inside jokes now. Deep cut in the inside yeah, jokes for sure. Yeah, I I think I think that's a cop out. I think he's just being chicken. I think he's scared of Sage. Sounds like it. I do. Well, Sage, uh, you are the number one fan. Yeah, president. That's, you're president. So. There you go. Congratulations. Yeah. Just run with it. Do what you will with it. Very yeah. excited about Use that. Use your power responsibly. We actually <laughs> got a second email uh, from a friend of the show, Connor Gaeta. Longtime oh, yeah, listener, Connor. first-time writer. Sanford student, senior. Yeah. Uh, if you've never met Connor, he has really long hair. Uh, he has a he had a ponytail this past Sunday. Um, so if, if, you, if you see him around, that's who that is. And the title of the email is actually Brian Eno. Wow. Imagine that. Yeah, how about wow. that? How about that, Grant? <laughs> to the distinguished gentleman of the Four Stream Studio. I like this email better already. <laughs> Very respectful. <laughs> I have really enjoyed all of the Brian Eno love on the podcast. All the recommended albums have been great. Apollo is a top three Eno record for me personally. 
I wanted to add to the conversation and say my absolute favorite Eno record is his collaboration with David Bowie, titled Low. Does this even count because it's a collaboration? Anyways, it's really good, and I figure I'd share. If y'all haven't already heard it, check it out. Connor Gata. Unbelievable. Thank you, Connor. So we got a lot of Brian Eno love out here. That's an right email now. I never thought we would get. <laughs> When we started this podcast, who would have thought 58 episodes in we'd be getting Brian Eno emails? Remarkable. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and that and that album is really cool. I actually listened to it today just because uh, you emailed about it, and uh, it's super, super weird. So <laughs> if anybody hasn't heard it, go check it out. Yeah. Well, speaking of albums, JM, you got one for us this week? JM's album of the All right, so while I was at the beach one night, we went down. There's this place on 30A called The Hub. You familiar with that, Oh, yeah, Brad? I've been there. Jonathan, have you heard of I'm, The Hub? I'm, I'm unfamiliar. It's it's like this, you know, there's like a lot of restaurants, like smaller restaurants, some food trucks, oh, different places like that. Yeah. So like a hub. So like a hub yeah, for yeah. all things. Yeah, We're The Hub. Descriptive. And uh, they were playing some music the other night while we were there, and a song came on. By Dave Matthews Band. And it just kind of took me back. Yeah, man. So now we're getting into... So <laughs> so the last album of the week with Alanis, we talked about right. like my Gosh. sixth grade. This is going to be a 30-minute album of the <laughs> no, week. No, it's not. It's not. Dave, I, I was... That was my like senior year. It was very defined by Dave. I went and saw Dave oh, wow. in Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. And they released the... Um, busted stuff album that year okay so this is around that era actually what i'm what i'm what my album of the week is let's do it um so they play i heard the space between at the hub that's what they played over the stereo i was like man that's a well-known great song that was every day right before uh the busted stuff album so it made me think about this live album that they put out. They're really well known for like all the live records, and they have amazing live shows because they they're constantly changing their set list, and sometimes they extend songs and jam oh, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They're just a classic live band. People travel and just follow their whole tour, right? And uh, this album came out when I was really just really getting into drumming when I was a teenager and I was really into mm. Carter Beaufort and it's the live at Folsom Field yeah. Bold, Boulder Colorado live album that came out in yeah. uh, I guess released in 2002 but it was recorded in 2001 um, so yeah kind of that close to that era and um, it's just got a lot of great songs on it and I can remember I bought the CD it was like a double disc CD and the CD came with a bonus DVD of two songs live. I think it was two or three songs live. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, I remember that DVD. And I used to watch that DVD, and uh, that's how I learned to play a couple of their songs, just by watching and listening to that over and over again. And then I'd sit in my basement and just play those songs he, over and over plays again. That, he plays that 12-string on Bartender. Yeah, Bartender oh. was the song that I really liked to play, because it was like this nine-minute oh, yeah. epic song that just builds and builds Goes and builds. Goes into his like, Dave falsetta. Yeah. Scatting. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Ah. That's definitely a highlight of the album for me, that, yeah. that song. Yeah. No, absolutely fantastic. Brad, you got nothing to contribute <laughs> to this conversation? Because <laughs> we yeah, can I just keep going. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm no, just observing. The, the last thing I'll say, talking about just them as a live band and, and how they constantly change their set and all that. So I, I don't know if you knew this. Anytime you would go to a Dave show or if you see footage of one, you will see people in the audience. Usually there's about four or five at different places 
who have these poles run up like 15 to 20 feet in the air and there's a mic on the poles and they oh, are sure. recording Dave they let people like there's permission <laughs> they let people record their shows live and they like do mix down now you can tell it's not like professionally recorded and all of that but my senior year in high school I had a friend and he was he was way more into Dave than even I was and he got into these online trading communities sure where they would trade and collect these shows you could get burned yeah. versions of them. And the goal was to collect every show from yeah. like the entire tour. And I'm just like, this is insane. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's that kind it's of, it's a thing. whole subculture. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I love it. So that's the album of the week. Fantastic. DMB. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Great pick. Well, we have one other exciting thing that we're debuting. A today. new thing. Oh, wow. Something new. Brad, you want to, you want to tell us about this? What's what's going on? Well, I'm excited to announce that we are introducing a new segment into Shades Midweek. And this segment is called Bradford's Book Club. Whoa. Yes. Clearly born of jealousy here. Yeah, JM was taking all the jingles <laughs> and getting to have all the fun. So I was trying to think, how could we make this podcast more about me? And right. this is what I came up with. So... Just like uh, John Mark recommends an album each week, uh, in Brad's book club, we're going to be recommending a book each week. But because I'm someone who's selfless and likes to involve other people, it's not just going to be my book recommendations, but it's going to be John Mark's book recommendations, Jonathan's book recommendations. Maybe we have a guest on the show. We might call somebody in. You never know what's going to happen at Bradford's book club. Did I say Bradford's time or Bradford? Bradford. Okay, Bradford. Good. It good, must good, yeah. be Bradford. Yeah, Bradford. Bradford yes. sounds Bradford. the appropriate yes. level of snooty. It's for my this. it's my Christian Excuse name. Excuse me. Yes. I mean sophisticated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the name you received at baptism. And we're gonna exactly. get you a jingle. We're gonna get you a jingle too. Working on it. Yes, for sure. Um, but I do have a book, believe it or not. And okay. the book that I'm going to be recommending this week is a book called Suffering and Glory. Meditations for Holy Week and Easter. I'm going to read from the back cover. Suffering and Glory recovers the best Holy Week and Easter articles from half a century of Christianity today, guiding readers from Palm Sunday to Pentecost and including contributions from Tish Harrison Warren, J.I. Packer, Nancy Guthrie, Eugene Peterson. Suffering and Glory will remind readers of the beauty of Christ's death and resurrection. So this is a book where there's a lot of different contributors and they reflect on the events of Holy Week, the events leading up to wow. the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And so I thought, since we are in Holy Week, that this would be a great book for people to check out. Yeah. So do, do, can people get a discount through Brad Bradford's book club? Type 15? in. 15? Yes. <laughs> On Amazon, be sure to type in Brad's Book Club. Bradford. Bradford's Book Club. Bradford's Book Club. Yes, exactly. It's not going to work. Yeah. That's awesome. There it is. That looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, Suffering and Glory, Meditations for Holy Week and Easter. Do you have a favorite article? Because it's like a collection. You said it's a collection of articles, right? Yes. Um, There's so many good ones. I would encourage people, when they open it, to skip around. I tend to do that with books a lot. It's a bad habit. Um, but I really love Nancy Guthrie's article on Maundy Thursday. You might not even know what Maundy Thursday is. Well, you're about to find out Ooh. if you get this book. 
Uh, Jeremy Treat also has a great article on Good Friday. And then uh, Tish Harrison Warren has a great article titled The Epic Jesus Follower Fail. <laughs> so all of them are great. Nice. Um, but yeah, check it out. Well, that was thrilling. Bradford's, I'm excited about this segment. Yeah, I'm excited yeah, about the potential. Me too, me too. I feel like there needs to be like a sticker that you like put on the book. Or something. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Oh, right. Like, yeah, no, for yeah, like, sure. like yeah. a seal of approval kind yeah. of thing. This definitely needs to be bigger than it is. For sure. <laughs> right. Like I, I could foresee yeah. it. We could give away books in the future to people. Oh wow. Yeah. Maybe oh, for yeah, people to really if they email in. Right. We get some little, pub- little get some publishers involved. We're, we're gonna have to get some we're gonna have to get some sponsors for this thing before long. Get a get a little Patreon action going where yeah, we do right, bonus episodes. Right. <laughs> totally. Right. Yes. One hundred percent. I mean, the goal of this is to make money. That's yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Of course. For my kids' college fund. All yeah. right. That's what we're looking for. Right. Oh. Man, I watched uh, I watched the Netflix documentary on the college admission scandal the other oh, day. I Sorry, see that, that. that I just came to mind. Well, this when is a you, good segue. Yeah. No, it's in my it's yeah, in my uh, when you said that up it just next. yeah, just came to mind. So but uh but what, yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's a good segue. Oh, oh I thought <laughs> No, I mean that's a fine segue, but is the documentary good? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, like, I learned a lot. I mean, I didn't follow the scandal that closely. As it, I knew just kind of generally what was going on and in the headlines. But getting into kind of the details of what was going on, how it was happening, all that, yeah, it's 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 mind-blowing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a real uplifting thing. It won't <laughs> discourage you about higher education at all. <laughs> well, I, the, the thing that's most, I think the thing that's most intriguing about um, about it is it tells you a lot more about the parents than it does. Like, it's not even about the students. Like, the students, mm. like, didn't even know. They weren't even aware of what was happening. Wow. And so it's really just telling you a lot more about, like, why this is important to these parents and the links they're willing to go to and all. It, it, it's fascinating from that perspective. Mm. That's cool. Well, speaking of documentaries and Holy Week, it is Holy Week as we're recording this podcast. And since we're... On the eaves of Good Friday and Easter coming up all this weekend, we... Outdoor Easter service. Outdoor Easter service, the first time we've ever done that. Yep. Um, there's just a lot of moving pieces this week. We're, we're getting a lot of things together. So as we were brainstorming and thinking through, like, what could we do for the podcast this week? What's something just easy that we could just have some fun with? Uh, we actually started talking about documentaries. We did, mm-hmm. yeah. Really, at the end of the day, this is just about the fact none of us have any brain... <laughs> cells left to contribute towards anything besides what's going on with Good Friday and outdoor Easter service. And this documentary. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, So, John Mark, you recommended a documentary that we could talk about. Yeah, well, since we cover culture here on Shades Midweek. That's right. This falls within our purview. Right. This is something that we do here. I thought with the Academy Awards coming up, since they had been pushed back because of the pandemic and they recently just announced the list of nominees, there was uh, some nominees that I saw that I that I, I saw on the list that I have not seen yet. Um, and one of them was this Netflix documentary called My Octopus Teacher. I had not heard of it before you crazy, said it. But it got nominated for Best Documentary Feature in oh. this year's Academy Awards. So I thought, so I mentioned it the other day and I thought, hey, let's watch this. It's like 80 minutes long or something like that. Let's all get through it and then we can talk about it. And we did. So that's what we're going to do today. 
So no promises at all about the quality of conversation that's about to unfold. And I'm assuming that there's going to be spoilers, right? Oh, oh for yeah. Sure. Yeah, massive spoilers warning because, I mean, this thing, whew, the plot just keeps <laughs> well, you on the edge of your seat. Well, you know, what's cool is wh- when you mentioned the college admissions documentary, which I don't know the name of that, but this is actually kind of a feel-good documentary. This isn't one of those that you watch and you're just really depressed at the end of it or distraught yeah. or you speak know. for yourself. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, so that's what we're gonna do. So, spoiler alert. So, if you haven't seen it and if you're planning on watching it, you may just want to hit pause on this and go watch it and then yeah, come go back watch it. And come back. To this. Yeah, yeah, for this. This is a companion piece. Yes. Yeah. to the documentary. Uh, yes, come back for all of. Our insight. We're That's really right. going to dig deep because I yes. know you want to know what three pastors in Birmingham, Alabama, think about this documentary. For sure. Well, right. why don't you, why don't we just get right into it, JM, and you right. tell us a little bit about the documentary. Okay, so My Octopus Teacher is a uh, 2020 Netflix original documentary film directed by Pippa Ehrlich and James Reed. It documents a year spent by filmmaker Craig Foster. Forging a relationship with a wild common octopus in a South African kelp forest. Now, JM, when you say that, (laughs) you certainly don't mean that this man went into the ocean every single day for a year to spend time with an octopus. That's certainly not what you're saying. You know, Brad, that sounds borderline absurd, but that's exactly what this man does in the documentary. So the film shows uh, Craig Foster uh, free diving in a very cold underwater kelp forest uh, in South Africa. And as he's doing this, he basically... Well, one, one part that's really interesting about the documentary is that he's, he's free diving without any scuba gear. He doesn't even have a shirt on or anything like that. He's just going in. He basically learned how to hold his breath longer underwater, and did, he's filming. Did anyone all this. find anywhere about how long he can hold his breath? No, I don't know. I just kept I, thinking that the whole time. I'm I know. Like, how long can this it, dude hold? His well, breath? that and how cold the water was. Uh, it says here. Oh, I've got the Wikipedia. I think I it think was. It's I think eight, it was at least below fifty degrees. Fahrenheit. Yeah, I think it was like forty-six degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, so very cold. And he talked about that. He talked about how it, um, what did he say? Being exposed to the cold, being exposed to the cold warrant uh, current, or <laughs> I'm totally jacking this up. <laughs> being exposed to the cold water, like, develop, helps develop your brain, I guess, is what he, he was Oh, he, he said it upgrades your brain. Upgrades your that, brain? That, like, getting into the cold makes your body release all sorts of chemicals. So you're, like, heightened like your awareness is heightened. Right. Um, and yeah, he talked about how it like makes your whole body feel alive. And uh, my and wife he, would massively disagree with all of that, by the way. <laughs> well, he said he started she to crave cold it. water. Like he started yeah. to crave the cold water. Yeah. I, I, I'm just here to, it's not the temperature of the water that would keep me from doing this. It's the kelp. <laughs> I can't do pl- plants like in water. It, it feels gross. It <laughs> freaks me out. I can't see anything. I don't. I don't know what's in it. I. I don't like it. I don't like it. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So he basically talks about at the beginning of the film. He talks about how he's going through this really tough time in his life, which I want to get to that at some point. Oh, yeah, oh, sure. we can start there if you want. Okay. Well, 
he talks about this tough time that he's having in his life, but it's all very. This is my one complaint about the documentary. Oh, okay. So I'll that's why yeah. I was gonna. Uh, that's why gonna. That's wait. why I was gonna wait because I was gonna get to the complaints. But we can do that now. I mean, we can we can wait because <laughs> this is one of my favorite things about okay, this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we'll point counterpoint this. No, thing. no, no, no. It's not that I don't. Okay, let me just get into it. So basically, he talks about um, he's kind of struggling with his relationship with his son. Um, he doesn't go into much detail. Like he's definitely a filmmaker. He doesn't go much into his life. He makes documentaries, right? He makes like documentaries, okay. and so um, he's going through this really tough time and the cool thing about it uh, is that when he discovers this octopus in this kelp forest like brad said earlier he starts going and swimming every day he's diving every day and filming and because he knows where the octopus den is and where the octopus lives so he's going down there every day for a year yeah um and filming her and he just talks about how like this relationship uh, through watching these animals and just kind of the whole uh, sea world there in that, in that kelp forest helped him with his relationship with his son. And so all that stuff is cool. My complaint was that it felt too vague to me. Like he never actually went into what it was that, was such a difficult situation in his life. I, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But here's here's what I liked uh, about that whole framing. Like you go into this thing expecting like the, I mean this is this is a documentary about an octopus, but it's 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 really not. It's really right. a documentary right. about him and right. and and life and and all of that and at, so he he is he's a documentary filmmaker and he talks specifically about this documentary that he made uh, in Africa uh, with these uh, hunter tracker uh, tribes and mm-hmm. right. goes into the, that kind of thing and and he talks about how much these uh, hunters uh, were just so in tune with nature like they yeah. were they were in that world yeah and he was an outsider. They were sensitive to things that he had no idea what yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, were going on. And and he was like an outsider and he wanted he wanted in. Um and so that's going on inside of him but then also by the time that's over he he was just at a place like yeah, I don't think he got very specific but he was at a place where he was burned out. Sure. Yeah, sure. He was burned out on his job and he specifically said like I couldn't handle seeing a camera or the thought of going into an editing room again right. just left me like I, it just didn't appeal to him at all. And and this is what he had felt like the purpose of his life was, was to be a filmmaker. And he's like, sure. so you're just at a place where the purpose of your life is just in tatters. And yeah. for me, the vagueness of it allowed me to enter that. Like I, I just relate, sure. you know, of mm-hmm. being in a place where I'm burned out and where even the things that I have loved the most, like, just leave me feeling paralyzed. Like, mm. I, I, I don't want to study right now. I don't want to write right now. I don't want to, you know, like, yeah. oh, my goodness. And and just feeling that. And, and what was so interesting to me was so the film becomes a film about his his healing process. Yeah. Um, And and what he does is he – what you learn early on is that he grew up – um on the coast of South Africa, diving in these type of areas. And so he just basically returns to his roots. 
Um, but he doesn't take a camera with him at all at first. And it's almost like rediscovering why he loves what he loves kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, gaining back that, that feeling, reconnecting, whatever, before mm-hmm. he finally feels like, oh, I, I want to take a camera back into here. Like, I feel like I've got something to say, a story to tell, or whatever. And and you kind of watch him go through that uh, that process. And so, like, like, even for me, I don't know how vulnerable we all want to get uh, <laughs> right here, right now. It's not, it's not a, a, a secret to anybody that I've kind of been going through a little bit of a hard time here recently. But I, mm. I think so, like, for me, it was, it was very hopeful. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. It was very hopeful in watching someone who who feels like like they've kind of reached the end of something, and they're I don't even know if I want to keep going, kind of thing or whatever. And just to watch him go through that uh that process. So, so yeah. So so I, I like that. There's a siren outside. I don't know if y'all can hear that <laughs> on the podcast, but all of us were just like, what's what's happening? There's a siren. Um. But, yeah. But yeah, and and what I. Uh, what I, I I loved about it, what one of the things that was so interesting to me is is him talking about feeling like an outsider when he was amongst the the tribal hunters and, and mm-hmm. an outsider from nature and wanting to get into that world, and that's what he ultimately ends up saying. He feels like he learns um, from this uh, this octopus. He says, "I I, I wrote it down. Uh, she taught me to feel." Uh, that I'm a part of this place, not a visitor. And there's a huge difference. And it was just interesting to me um, how much of our our life we feel like we don't belong and we feel like outsiders and we feel like, like all of that. Um, and especially with regard to like nature, it's a very interesting thing to me that we feel like everything outside of us as human beings, everything outside of us is a part of the natural created world and it like belongs where it is. But like we don't, we're invaders into that space. Mm-hmm. Like that's how we even talk about ourselves. Right. Um, and it, it was just interesting to me, like his reconnecting with that and coming to this feeling of like belonging and, I, I don't know. Anyway, mm. I just found all of that very, uh, very intriguing. But so we haven't, yeah, ta- we haven't you know, talked about the octopus at all. You know, so. it's, well, it's kind of like uh, I feel like mm. Steven Spielberg does this really well with like his alien movies, like with with E.T., for example, and sort of like that alien connection and that relationship of like uh, a human and something that's not human and so there's definitely that aspect of the film happening here with his relationship with this animal. And I think he even describes it somewhere at the beginning of the film as like an alien, like what is this? And they're trying to figure each other out. And so their their interactions is super interesting, especially mm-hmm. like when the octopus touches his hand and then like just rests on his chest for a while. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, like it. it um, you really get the sense of of trust being built, like with this octopus. Like as you watch it, as as he goes back day after day, like the octopus gets a little bit more curious and a little bit more curious. And yeah, it's just an interesting phenomenon to watch unfold. This is random, but uh, something that I thought was odd. Um, because uh, he'll even talk about their relationship developing like 
like like they have like this intimate connection yeah kind of thing uh, he never names the octopus hmm. I, fa- um. I, I found that odd it just always talks about she never yeah. never names her yeah so Interesting. i don't know why but hmm. that that stuck out to me so that, i have no point beyond that <laughs> i have nothing else to say about it brad yeah, I don't know. what are some of your thoughts brad well, as you watch this film i was a little skeptical at first because when he first starts interacting with the octopus, I can remember thinking, I, I really don't feel anything. Like, I, don't, I don't care about this octopus or what happens to this octopus. I think this says more about you than it does about the film. Yeah. I'm, maybe I need to talk this out. Um, so I remember thinking, I don't, I don't think... And this I'm is coming from a this. dog owner. You have a dog. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, my dog, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, it's because he named it. That's true. Yeah, and so, but... You know, uh, time goes on in, in the film, and there's a scene where the octopus is getting chased by a, a shark. A pajama shark. A pajama How about shark. that name? I yeah, yeah. Because it has stripes. How did, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I think that's why they get called that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to this octopus? <laughs> like, I really started to feel this affection for this octopus. And then uh, later on in the movie, you know, the octopus is sitting on his chest, and I'm like, oh, that's that's really cute. And I'm like, that's just so wild. Like, uh, because at the beginning, I was thinking about like, have I ever eaten octopus before? And uh, throughout the film, I actually did feel a sense of empathy for the <laughs> for the octopus. Yeah, uh, a sense of connection. I have two things. One quick confession: I have eaten octopus before. I, I've never have. Um, and well, it, isn't it? Um, it'll blow your mind. It's not like squid at all. Like squid, most people have had like calamari, which yeah. is really chewy. Yeah, it's not like that. It's almost okay. like a white meat, like mm. like almost like eating chicken. Yeah, it's really it'll blow your mind. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. The real. <laughs> I just felt the it's need to phenom- confess. It's phenomenal. I felt like a hypocrite over here. <laughs> um, no, the um, no. What I was going to say was that he begins to talk, and it's interesting that you talk about that. He begins to talk about the way his interaction with the octopus is affecting his relationship with his son, his relationship with other right. people, and the way he phrases it is he says that uh, the octopus, his relationship with the octopus, brought about an awareness of the other. And helps him yeah. to reconnect with with people. Like so, in other words, when he would go into the in, in, into the water, like he is solely there thinking about the octopus and like what it's doing and tracking it. Find, like like everything about his life, his problems, his not wanting to be in the film studio, like like all of that fades to the background, and the focus is taken off of himself and placed onto the other, which begins to develop empathy. Mm-hmm. and sympathy and and all of that like entering into the world of another yeah and not to get like crazy overly philosophical um Here we, go. we can <laughs> but no i mean it just it made me think about a lot of the things we currently experience in culture oh, yeah. uh whether we're talking about political tensions or racial tensions or whatever we're right. talking about and just how much anger we have towards the other and the the lack of ability to have empathy and we it, right. and we really don't have an awareness of the other and just that idea of like entering into the space of the other for the sole purpose of connecting with the other. Like this isn't about me at all. Yeah. Um, and like just entering into each other's space and, and, and growing in this understanding of, you know, for him, it's growing an understanding of, of this creature and this creature's environment and this creature's experience and all of that. And he begins to empathize and feel and connect. 
And I don't know. It, it was just a thing of like to me of just thinking through, man, I, I think that's such a great it's just it's just a core basic truth of like how much our divisions and defenses would shift, change, transform, whatever, if we just entered into each other's spaces and connected with one another. If, you know, Republicans and Democrats, you know, would enter into each other's spaces and actually talk and yeah. and, and not mm. online spaces. <laughs> right. But like real physical space. He's going to this octopus's home. It's yeah. true. Like you go into to each other's homes. He watches this octopus suffer. Yeah. Like watching each other suffer. Like, I don't know. It, it, that was just part of, uh, and, and, and part of his I- identifying with the octopus is when he sees it suffer. So Brad mentioned, you know, we said spoilers. Uh, told you the plot. Yeah. Keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, Brad <laughs> mentioned that there's this scene where the octopus gets chased by this uh, the shark. The octopus actually gets attacked and loses an arm. Um, and then you go through this process of watching the arm regrow. Which is wild. And and he talks, it takes like 100 days for it to fully regrow. And he talks about how he begins to interpret his own pain through the octopus and, and its pain. And watching it go through something so traumatic and seeing that it could heal and get back to a place of health. And talking about how he'd been in a place of just difficulty and burnout and how that gave him hope for healing and transformation. And again, it just began to make me think about like specifically, especially like racial injustice Mm -hmm. and entering into and, and actually seeing another person's pain to the point that you begin to connect with it because of pain in your own life. Mm. And, and you begin to interpret your, your own pain and like, like you just, you begin to connect with people, not through shared specific experiences. I mean, this guy has never been attacked by a shark. He's not an octopus. And I've never experienced the racial injustice that my black brothers and Mm. sisters have, but I've experienced pain and being able to sit with somebody, listen, hear, see, observe, enter into their home and their space, and then just begin to connect on like a heart level of we're human. We've all experienced pain. I don't know. I just think it has a chance to, make you aware of the other. Yeah. You know? Um mm. these are just some of the things that I was reflecting on afterwards. Sorry. I know we were talking about an octopus. Didn't mean to <laughs> go that way. But um No, but it it was interest, interesting to me um because he's someone that's dealing with it kind of sounds like um mental health issues and yeah. physical health issues. Sure. And he goes into nature and really just beholds the beauty of nature Mm. and kind of sits in awe and investigates and looks deeply into nature. And then he invites you into it. And at the end of the film, he talks about inviting his son into it. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is very Christian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Looking at the natural world around us with this sense of awe and the sense of wonder, and it's stirring our souls and our affections. Obviously from a Christian perspective, we would say all of this points back to God and says Mm -hmm. something about God. None of that language makes sense to me apart from God. Like beauty, wonder, awe, like all of that. I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, no, totally. Preach on preacher. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, uh, you see the um, the early church fathers, these early leaders in the early church, constantly doing this, uh, looking around at nature and then pointing it back to God. And 
you know, recently Jordan and I did a, a little bit of a staycation and that allowed us uh, to go to Oak Mountain State Park and hike all day, which we normally wouldn't do. And I'm someone that's like camping equals hotel, you know, like I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> I don't like camping. I'm not like Bo was talking about backpacking. Right. That sounds horrible. <laughs> um, but I have to confess, there was something that was uh, so restful and something that was so um, restoring about going out for a day and uh, spending a time in Oak Mountain and looking uh, at the overlook and just kind of sitting and contemplating and thinking and, and all of it uh, just stirred my affections for, for who God is. And so I think that it just caused me to think about how much technology has uh, shifted how we live day in and day out and how much of our time, you know, talking about the documentary, I'm like, this guy went into the ocean every day. I'm like, I think if we look back at our year, look back mm. at our year and kind of looked at what we did day in and day out and what we spent our gaze on and what oh. we spent our time mm. looking at and focusing on and thinking about and what have you, I think we might be kind of shocked at what a year looks like for us. Mm. So, Wow. Yeah. It's super challenging. I mean, I, just off of the hills of our vacation here, going to the the beach and you were talking about being in nature and he's being in nature every day. I, I love to go to the beach. I love to stare at the ocean and just listen to the ocean and feel the wind and the salt and mm-hmm. the sea and the sand. There's just something very peaceful about all that. And also, kind of like scary too because it's just this giant ocean that's so much bigger right than you and I and I think for me all that points back to God because I just go like this is so massive this is such a huge thing that inspires so much awe and you get to see this beauty and kind of this wonder and only this could only come from one intelligent, creative designer that could put all this together. And so it's the same when you watch this documentary with this octopus and how uh, the ways in which the octopus uh, interacts with some of the other creatures, dancing mm. with the fish yeah. and kind of having a personality and the way in which it defended itself from the shark attack by taking all of those shells and like creating like a, like a suit of armor. (laughs) I mean, that's like, I don't know. All that stuff just blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Like that's like one creature that that's one of the thousands of creatures that live on this planet that was created by God and look at how unique it is and how special it is. Just this one thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, one of the one of the things I I loved um, was I or kind of playing off some of the things that both you guys just said. Um, Brad, you talking about him doing this, you know, for a full year uh, and all that, and us observing like what we do over a year. And I I think when we hear that he did this every day for a year, one of the things I think that we uh, are like, oh my goodness, about it, is that it sounds boring. The, the monotony of it, like the same thing over and over. But one of the things that's really interesting to me um, that you observe throughout the documentary is it's because he does this every day, day after day, that uh, intimacy increases. Uh, the relationship, the trust increases between him and uh, and the octopus. And 
of it's because he does the same thing over and over again that his ability to see increases. Mm. Um, he he discovers more. He's able to observe more. Like at one point in this documentary, uh, he it, it, I don't remember what point in the relationship it was earlier on in his his developing trust with the octopus, but he accidentally scares it, and the thing like goes away, and he doesn't see it for a yeah. week. But because he's been down there every single day and continues over the course of this week, he learns how to track this thing. He's tracking an octopus underwater. And I'm just like, what? What in the world? But but it was that idea of coming to the same thing over and over again, not actually making it more boring, but causing you to see with greater clarity, like more of it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and deepening an intimacy with it. I just, I just, to me, it was like, you know, two different approaches you could have towards these, the daily, whatever it is in your life, your job, mm. your relationships, your marriage, whatever. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was, yeah, it was, it was interesting to me. Um, and then JM, just like you were saying, um, just how much of it. Uh, just brings you back to God and his design and just from from the small to, you know, like this is one creature amongst right. thousands, millions, right. whatever. Um, and just the the massive creativity uh, that you see that just feels endless to explore in this one right. creature um, to the huge of like you yeah. talking about going to the ocean and loving the, the spray of the sea, which right. is because you're a pirate at heart. <laughs> um, Maybe I am. <laughs> But uh, but you talking about the bigness of the ocean and feeling so small? It reminded me of uh, I heard John Piper one time say he was standing on the on the beach and he's looking at the juxtaposition. You know, every hotel has a pool, and he's right. and he's talking about the absurdity of a pool on the beach, and he's like, and that's right. a man sized pool, and that's a god sized pool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Well. You know, I thought it might be fun to throw out some octopus facts. Oh, oh do you have so some? Maybe All right, a little Brad. octopus trivia? Yeah, okay, so Brad. I'm going to ask you guys, maybe test your knowledge. See Bring it our, on. See I, I studied know. for 80 minutes. <laughs> um, is it octopi or octopuses? Um, um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going with the latter. I think it's the latter. I'm saying octopi. So, according to a random marine biologist on YouTube, <laughs> it's octopuses, not octopi, wow. because you only pluralize a word with an I if it's Latin. It has a Latin root. That's what she said. Oh, wow. So, what's the, uh, what's the root of octopus? It's not Latin, apparently. I'm not sure. Oct. Oct. Is that? I didn't have time to finish the YouTube video for the question. Well, somebody's Jonathan. making fun of us, because I think... I don't well, know. I don't know grammar. Oct by the way. eight, right? Right, eight, right, eight, right. Well, arms. I was trying to think about the the root of that. Is that Greek? But I don't. I listen. I you know I, an octave. To, when you're talking about octave I don't, in musical <laughs> terms, you have a, a a set of seven, but it starts over. So there's like eight notes there in an octave. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. seven in a scale. But yeah. All right, moving on. I don't know my Greek. <laughs> I don't know my Greek numbers. How many species of octopus are there? Oh man, um, I am going to say three hundred and sixty-two. Uh, three hundred and sixty-three, Bob. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> How dare you? Well, 
John Mark wins 250 oh, species. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Should have yeah. gone one less. <laughs> All no. right. 250. No, no, he doesn't win. The price is right rules is you can't go over. <laughs> All right. Next question. Uh, true or false? Uh, octopuses have three hearts. <laughs> I feel like that's true. Or if it's false, I feel like it's more. It's like five. <laughs> I'm going to say true as well. It's true. They have three hearts. That's why this thing was wow. able to love him so much. <laughs> hey, there it is. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. Um, do octopuses, or I'll ask it this way. How many eyes do octopuses have? I mean, I only noticed two on this thing. Yeah, but I only noticed the two. The way you ask that makes me think there's more. I know. Are they, do they have them on their arms? They just have two eyes, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> trick question. Yeah. All right. Uh, another true or false female. Oh, but but that does make oh. me think um, from the uh, from the show. At, at one point, he talks about, uh, is it like 80% of its cognition is in its arms? Like, like wow. it, was, yes. it was mind-blowing. Wow. Yeah, um, it was something wild. Yeah, just talking about how it takes in information about its world. The overwhelming majority of it. It has over 2,000 suckers individually controlled. He said it would be like us having 2,000 fingers. Blew my mind. Whoa. All right, go ahead. That's insane. Um, okay, I guess we could do another true or false here. Yep. Uh, true or false, female octopuses die after their edge eggs have hatched. This is an easy one. If, if you watch the yes, documentary. If you the documentary, yes, is the answer. Yes, 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 is the answer. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. All right. <laughs> or, or I would like to, <laughs> I should say. Um, I'm going to skip that question. Uh, do all octopuses have venom? Okay, this was something that I was trying to think about as I was watching this because I kept getting freaked out. I was like, is he going to die at some point? <laughs> like, is this octopus actually going to kill him? Do they have venom? Do they not? This was like in my head the whole time I was watching this. So, uh-huh. So what was the question? <laughs> Do all octopuses have venom? All octopuses? I'm going to say no. But this one did. Um, the, the common one did. Because he talked at one point about how it drills into uh, the shell of like a mollusk okay. and drops a little bit of venom in there. Okay. Um, so this one definitely was venomous. So, But I don't think all of them are. So according to facts.net. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're really um, deep this is saying that all oct- octopuses have venom. Well, there and you go. It's saying that uh, when the octopus catches its prey, it breaks into the shell, injects its venomous saliva into the prey to paralyze or kill it. Although all octopuses have venom, not all of them are dangerous to humans. Okay. Only okay. the blue-ringed octopus is fatal just oh, wow. with one bite. So only one type of octopus is fatal yes. to humans. And apparently that bite is painless. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't even know it. Um, wow. You want to do, do one more? Uh, what last one. Keep going. Yeah, this is great. This is fun. Um, do all octopuses produce ink? Well, this one did. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say yes. Sure. Apparently no. Oh. Um, all all octopuses can produce ink except for those that live in the deep open ocean. The octopus's ink comes from the ink sacs in their grills. 
Um, they squirt ink when they face danger and need to escape from their predators. Their ink is accompanied by mucus when produced. Well, there you go. Um, and their grills. I didn't know octopus. I didn't I know, know they wore grills. I don't know. And lastly, can an octopus change color in an instant? Yes. Yes, they can. Yeah, that was super interesting. It was yes. it, it was so fascinating to to watch. and then uh after after the octopus got attacked cuz I I was wondering at what point I was like so what color is it? Like, you know, just right. kind of if it's not making itself be a color. But it was like this really just kind of like bland grayish white um after it got attacked and he made this made this comment that like it didn't have the energy to uh change its color. Like at that, and that, that was just strange to me that like you know it's like this thing is exerting energy to change. Like I, I don't even know so how that crazy. works. <laughs> yeah, it's so insane. Uh, can I give one more fact? Yeah, sure. On, and then we'll be come done. On, come on. Um, apparently, live octopus is a delicacy in South Korea. Oh, I've heard about this. Live, live octopus. So, uh, it's believed to be a stamina booster, primarily during the summer season. For some, eating live octopus is said to be good for the blood sugar levels. Isn't it dangerous? But eating a wiggling octopus is not a good idea. A uh, a 71-year-old man in South Korea choked to death after eating a chopped but wiggling octopus tentacle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, man. (laughs) No. No. So, it's only only dangerous in that it's... Still alive when you're eating it, not like, like, like because think, it's raw or something like, like that. I think yeah. it's suckers can like still, yeah, suction. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Seems so. And then here's the last question. Okay. That I'm not, <laughs> three three hours later. The here's the last question. one. Sorry, I'm just. Uh, all these are so good. Yeah. Um, how did in the documentary? Yeah. How did he know it was a female octopus? He refers to the octopus as her. Yeah, I, I actually thought about this when he was referring to it. I was like, how does he know? And then, you know, at the end, um, or towards the end, is when the, the octopus uh, lays its eggs. Right. And I was like, oh, well, maybe he just knew, like, post-fact, and right. that's why he's yeah, referred to it as she. But I have no idea how you tell the difference. Yeah, I don't know either. According to a marine biologist on YouTube, <laughs> who was very charismatic and a lot of fun to listen to, uh, she said that... Uh, for females, one of the uh, the tentacles, one of the left, uh, on the left side, I don't even know how she identified it, but basically the suckers go all the way to the end. And with a man, oh. the suckers don't go all the way to an end. Gotcha. And that's how Interesting. they mate. Did she watch the documentary? She did. Okay. And she hated it. I'm kidding. <laughs> she she loved it. She said it was well, really I, good. She I, was super excited about one it. One thing that I read was that he captured footage of the octopus doing things that some biologists didn't know that they could do wow like certain things i don't know specifically what well, that's i mean crazy. when it jumped out of the water and went on land for a second oh yeah yeah, yeah. that was yeah that was pretty that was wild. wild that was pretty awesome there was one point where he's picking up some shells and then he goes home and he has this huge chest i know and there are shells everywhere yeah and i'm like my wife would never that's like a whole documentary house. right there it's like right the front door he has this huge <laughs> thing of shells what is their marriage honey, like honey could you move your shells please <laughs> anyway tom yeah. and I'd, tom I'd, and pam are coming over for dinner tonight <laughs> 
can't speak to uh, the nature of their relationship, but I do know uh, that his wife is an environmentalist and works with him in his organization. We'll see. There you go. So it's all making sense. It's all coming together. I have one. There kinda, you have it. I have one kind of random thing. That was an awesome lightning round speed round. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Apparently, octopus uh, is a Greek word originally, okay. taken from the Greek, which means eight foot. Okay. Th- there you go. It is Greek. Okay. It is Greek. So, um. I uh, random thing that I kept thinking about throughout the documentary um, was the power of music, yeah, um, and the yeah. power of sound. And and here's what made me think about it uh, specifically: anytime the octopus was the predator and like seeking its food, the music was like very light, and he was talking about like its intelligence and just how incredible and all these things. But then when the shark was the predator and the octopus was the prey, it's like intense, like scary yeah. themed music. And and it really changes your emotional state where you, when you're watching the octopus be the predator, you feel nothing for these <laughs> other like, animals. Oh, it's the circle of life. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just man. a Look part of the smart. kelp forest. How incredible. And then the <laughs> sharks come in and you're like, you jerks, <laughs> get out of here. What are you doing? You're ruining everything. <laughs> Just leave you're it like, alone. You're like, well, the shark has to eat too. Or then, <laughs> or then also like the like the you talked about the scene where the octopus is playing with the fish, right? Um, like, is the octopus playing <laughs> with the fish, or do I just feel that way because there's playful music in the background? And if there was different music, would I feel like this it was is a horror? This is a horror film if it's different music. Yeah, according to facts.net, octopuses are not social creatures. So, well, well he that, said that. Yeah, he yeah. talked about it being an antisocial creature being social. But I'm like, is it? But I'm like, it it jumped to him. And like, I don't know, that was just that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just the just kind of the power of of music and the power of sound. I uh I did something I never do in that I actually watched the credits on this thing. <laughs> Um, and the reason was because I was like, this guy filmed all this. I wonder how much he's credited for in the credits, which is actually not that much. Um, right. But they had a Foley artist. Um, are you guys familiar with Foley? Like what that is? Uh, for, uh, for those listeners that don't know, <laughs> go ahead and Why don't you it. explain I it? I know this from all of the special them. features for cartoons my children have made me watch. Um, I, of course, know. A, uh, <laughs> a Foley artist is so, like I've only ever heard of them in the context I mean they do it for for film too but but in the context of animation they do it a lot they come in and whereas voice actors provide the voices foley artists provide all of the sound that isn't voices and that isn't music oh sure so like sure. footsteps okay. uh, right. a trash can opening doors blah 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 all that stuff they like watch the film on a sound stage and have all these million <laughs> different things and they're making sounds so that the the world sounds like it should you mm-hmm. know and you're immersed in it well i didn't think about the fact that like underwater i mean he's not getting the natural sound so like the all the sounds sound. the water sounds the sound of like uh the the the, the animals like hitting each other or, or shells or any of that like all that was like a, a foley artist anyway so it just it just made me think about i don't know just the role of music the role of sound in storytelling mm. and just how powerful it is to make you uh, to bring you into the world and then to feel what you feel and interpret things the way you interpret them um so yeah i just found myself thinking about that a lot throughout the the, the course of the documentary. I would watch a documentary on a Foley artist for sure. That would oh, be totally. super interesting. Yeah. 
Maybe yeah. that's next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you if you have any uh, DVDs, don't know if you guys know what these things are. John Mark, I think, does. He has like five billion. Mm. Yeah. Um, but if you have any uh, animated movies, uh, a lot of times they'll have uh, in their special features stuff about the sound uh, and the sound mixing, all that, and they'll usually have like foley artist stuff in there. So anyway, mm. sorry, that's. Uh, yeah, that's just other some of them. The Any, weird things. I hey, Jonathan, about. I'm curious. Any thoughts on where uh, the first shark attack, where the octopus loses its arm, and how he talks about how he kind of wanted to intervene but he didn't. So there's like kind of like this interesting picture of like this being that has like this view of everything that's happening in this world and is watching like this suffering happening, and not intervening i didn't know if you had any thoughts on on that at all <laughs> um no no i don't oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i mean it's definitely i mean i hadn't even really given it much thought until you just were were bringing it up and i think that there are definitely some some easy parallels you can talk about there but then there's also definitely some stark differences like yeah. from the way that we would think about God and his sovereignty and our experience of evil because it's it's a different relationship. It's not where like God is not choosing to intervene because, oh, just got to let nature run its course kind of right. thing. You know, it, it's more God, we believe, obviously has uh, providential purposes in all that happens and unfolds, and those providential purposes win in, mm. in, in the end. And so uh, whereas I think, you know, it was interesting, he... Uh, will describe how he kind of felt a little bit helpless to 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 help right. this thing, yeah. um, which you know God obviously never feels that way, you know, um, and so yeah, I don't know. It's definitely interesting to. Th- there were multiple things throughout the documentary that I think leave you thinking on kind of larger themes. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is they reflect on mortality a lot. Sure. Yeah. Um. And and that's one of the scenes that causes him to do it. Like just right. how quickly this happens. How fragile life is. I mean. I, yeah. and, and even just thinking about you know the lifespan of an octopus. I know it can differ yep. for different species, but this one that he, five years I think. Yeah. But the one that he was with, it sounded like usually about a year. Yeah. Mm. Um. Is uh is the Maybe lifespan? Pull that up, fact checker. Well, yeah. I thought I read that somewhere. <laughs> But uh, but he starts talking about um, when he observed that event. Just it, he's reflecting on the fragility of this thing's life, which then gets him reflecting on the fragility of his own life and his family's and our existence in this world. And every moment counting, every in, in, encounter being significant. And yep, I thought that was really interesting because that's at the very end of the documentary, right? And it's and mm-hmm. it's a very um, it's a very uh, theological thought process. Yeah, it's very Ecclesiastes. Um, yes, it's it's something that you know we we joke about how theologians of old always kept a skull on their desk. I actually have a fake skull on my desk <laughs> because I talked about that in a sermon and someone bought me a skull. Um, but they did it to remind themselves every day that they would die. Like, mm. and and that's not morbid. It's reminding themselves of the the preciousness of life and of the moment and of living. You know, and 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 making the moments count and such and so anyway yeah him just talking about the brevity of life and it making every moment precious yeah according to facts.net uh most octopus have a short lifespan between one to five years depending on the species there you go but interesting 
the this female octopus gives birth and then dies. All the strength that she has goes yeah. to giving birth. And I'm trying to remember the number of eggs. Half it was something half, insane. Half a million. Yeah. That. That's absolutely insane. Well, and, and he says only a handful right. will survive, right? You know, but but half a million eggs. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting because as she goes into that process of of giving birth, like he knows this means she she's gonna die. She'll never come back out of her den. Um, because and he actually I think he describes percentages like what percentage of her energy and like yeah. her her body mass and all of that yep. is being given for the life of these children. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, life coming out of death. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know if there's anything <laughs> going on this week. Any, or pa- any, parallels? <laughs> any parallels? Any parallels we could draw? But, I mean, isn't it, isn't it insane? Just again, talking about God and his design, isn't it insane how much that reality is embedded into the world? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. life coming out of death. Like, it's just freaking everywhere even down to the seasons you know right Mm -hmm. and i yeah so it was just it was another really cool thing of like of course of course this is how this is about to work right you know totally so yeah wow wow we did it guys wow (laughs) we talked about an octopus for an hour who who thought an octopus could be a teacher yeah isn't that interesting Hey, that's the title of the documentary yeah No, yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. So yeah, I really check enjoyed it out. that. Check it out. It's on Netflix. I mean, I guess if you made it to the end, you probably already checked it out already. Otherwise, That's we true. spoiled the entire film for you. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My octopus teacher. Yeah, maybe it'll win an Academy Award. Who knows? I hope so. Could be cool. I don't know what the other nominees are. So it's great just listening to his voice. It's so yeah, calm he does and, have a nice storyteller yeah. voice mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. But, well, guys, well, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, we should probably give a heads up. I guess next week we're going to be out of town. Yes. Yeah, so, so every year uh, after Easter, we, uh, we go away for a week to do planning and brainstorming and all of that for the next year. Um, and so, uh, so we'll be gone next week. But uh, there, there will still be an episode. We'll make sure yeah. you've got something waiting on you. For sure. Um, and so, uh, but yeah. So pray for us as we travel and are away and spend time with the the Lord and with one another. And really, I guess, really pray for our wives. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to, uh, you know, text them next week, um, take them a meal. Um, yeah. You know, babysit some children or right. Oxford, you know, to give some relief to everybody. Oh, yeah. Um, so... But yeah, no, guys, I actually really enjoyed that conversation much more. I, I too, like Brad, was a little skeptical about talking about the octopus for an hour, but mm, it really came together. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've just proven that we can make an episode about anything. I think that's true. <laughs> and if you listened, thank you for making it to the end with us. Right. This has been another episode of Shades Midweek. Stay safe out there. Email us at midweek at shadesvalley.org. Let us know what you thought of the film. Exactly. <laughs>